Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 219 of Manage the Wild. I'm your host, Nick Madsen. Today's show is kind of interesting. Uh, it's kind of one that I've often thought about. Uh, as you go to these remote wilderness areas, the places that we all dream of going to get away, the question I've always had is, how do they manage them? Is it hard? Is it easy? And in today's show, we talk about that. Wilderness areas, going out, using airplanes to land on these strips far out, taking horses into the backcountry, hiking, getting more than a mile off the road. The question I've always had is how hard or easy is it to manage these areas? And there's a couple things. One, it's easier than you think it is. And two, it's harder. Whew, it's harder than you think it is. And we're going to delve into that. So when we're talking about these wilderness habitats, they are shrinking, they're diminishing as we are building. It doesn't matter whether we're doing talking oil and gas or uh, commercial or residential, we are encroaching on these areas. Ski resorts, uh, wilderness camps, we are just connecting these areas more and more each day. And so it is making it smaller and smaller, but there's still these wilderness areas that are out there. One of the areas that I truly want to go to and spend a lot of time is the Frank Church region of Idaho. I just want to spend a lot of time there, and I wish I could. And based upon dollars that I have in my pocket, I can't as well as work. So those are what I would call critical wilderness habitats. They are these remote landscapes, and it's areas where humans really haven't infected them yet with all the things that we've got going on. And so one of the things that we need to do when we are talking about managing these wilderness areas is keeping track of big game populations. There are multiple ways that we can do that. One, uh, it's getting more and more common is callers, GPS data, getting those uh, telemetry, those remote callers put on and using the GPS to survey those populations. The other is we can go out and we can do flights. You can fly over these areas and do a bunch of spotting. Then uh, some new ways that are, are being developed that are currently not so reliable, but in the near future, I would say within the next 10 to 15 years, thermal. Uh, thermographics where they are able to use that thermal imaging and go and be able to identify which animal is what. They're already doing these scans where they take planes and they are flying with LIDAR, mapping out the terrain, and it won't be too much longer to where we can use these to help identify species. In certain areas, they're actually doing it and having remarkable uh, outcomes with it, I guess, on, on animals that are easily distinguishable, such as elephants in Africa. And so making sure that we are going out, getting our counts, putting out collars, understanding where populations are moving and how they're using that, ad, that habitat is very important. We also have to balance between conservation and hunting. We need to make sure that our regulations are such that we have an abundance of animals and abundance of opportunity but we also want to make sure that we are protecting that pristine habitat, not allowing too much to go on to where it starts to degrade that habitat. Because in these wilderness areas, you're still competing with ag. So you got to allow the cattlemen, the sheep, and the horses. You've got to allow all those people access in there. 
And then you got uh, the non-consumptives, those hikers, bikers, cross-country skiers, those guys have got to be able to use it. So we've got a balance between having too many animals, not enough animals, and walk that fine line. Now, your wildlife boards are going to kind of set the direction that a wildlife biologist is going to go on those. But Overall, it's it's not too bad when you're trying to balance that. Logistical challenges, it's difficult and it's expensive to get into these areas. It's expensive to be able to monitor these areas, whether you're using helicopters or planes or hiking in or horses. It's very difficult to get in there. And it's very difficult to stay long periods of time just because the amount of equipment that you need. And so that's some of the main challenges that biologists have is the logistical challenges of getting into these areas. Now, places like Alaska and Canada and Russia, that they can fly in on these tundras, make it a little more easy, a little more easier to get into. But some areas with these high peaks and rugged mountains make it a little more challenging. Helicopters are usually required. But the challenge you have with helicopters in wilderness areas is they're not allowed to touch down. So you can fly in with helicopters, but they can't sit on the ground because that violates these wilderness areas and there's fines that go along with that so that's a logistical challenge it is what it is then uh, even though it's wild and remote there are human and wildlife conflicts that are going on whether it's wildlife and we're talking about predators you're going to have predators in the area and in these uh, wilderness areas you may have some ag so you're going to have predators coming in and killing ag and so you have to deal with those challenges uh, you're also going to have um, herbivores competing with other herbivores so you're going to have elk and deer competing with cattle and sheep and there's some conflicts there uh, in the winter time i see more of those conflicts where elk are coming into and confronting cattle so they can get hay and if the bulls still have their antlers they're going to gore some animals we've had prize sheep killed that i've known about we've had prize cattle killed some some cows have been gored as well as bulls and then we've also had some show horses worth thousands and thousands of dollars that have been killed by elk. And so uh, the human-wildlife conflict is still there, even though there's remote wilderness areas. There's also some safety concerns with that as well, uh, predators. We are hearing about multiple stories this year in Yellowstone area where uh, grizzly bears are coming in and attacking a couple of people, unfortunately, have been killed. And so you, even though you have these nice, beautiful wilderness areas, there still is some concerns there. And so you have to try and manage those predator populations. Yellowstone is a little different because it's national. But on state, they can do some uh, some things, whether it's reduce populations to reduce conflict, or they can bring in some uh, bear permits and, and chase those chase permits, and they can start hazing those animals a little bit from some of those areas. Then you have these ethical practices. So the more hunts you open up and the more management you put into these wilderness areas, the more you're bringing people in. And that's where leave no trace and some of those factors start to come into play. The more you bring people in and the more you open up to hunting and fishing, the more trash, unfortunately, people have and the more garbage they bring in and the more it disturbs that. And so you kind of have this balance of 
wanting to keep this place pristine, wanting to manage animals. And so there is some of that challenges that need to be thought about and weighed. The one nice thing, though, that I like really like about these wilderness areas is oftentimes they are the only way of preserving these migration corridors. In, uh, in Utah, the Uintas, the high Uintas, they are rugged and steep, and they are the perfect migration from the Wasatch Front over into Wyoming or Colorado. And these animals are using these as corridors because there's not a whole lot of development going on. And so they are able to continue to migrate. Also, some of these canyons are very, very steep and rugged. There's not a lot of building going on in these wilderness areas. Again, we're preserving those migration corridors. The challenge, though, is is if you split and you put a highway through some of these areas, are we going to block some of the migration that goes on? And we need to make sure that we are keeping these places open. A whole lot of collaboration and research has to go into these wild areas. Because what happens if uh, a disease gets brought in for some reason? An animal moves from Washington down into Montana, down into Wyoming or whatever and they bring the disease from that area. You need to know, and it's it's hard to tell, bighorn sheep is one. You need to be aware and constantly doing research, constantly testing animals, constantly collaborating with multiple universities to make sure these tests are being done. Because if these areas are a logistical nightmare to come into, it's hard to continue to do research. So you have to work with people who have funding. Universities have funding, but not all universities have all funding. So you have to work with multiple groups to be able to continue to uh, monitor animals in these back uh, remote areas to make sure that they are being monitored correctly. It would be terrible as a biologist if in November you did a flight and you had a 200 bighorn sheep and because of winter and everything, you just couldn't get back until May and you go back in May and there's no animals and you find out uh, from a, a shed hunter or whatever that they found a head, you go in and get it and you find out there was disease or who knows, you may never even find out. And then that's just the nightmare of being the biologist in that area when they're saying, where's our animals? And you say, I have no idea. And then again, remember that it's not all about hunting uh, when you're managing Biologists have their marching orders. They need to keep the population at this, this, and this. And some of those priorities are around recreation opportunities. People want to go into the backcountry. They want to see deer. They want to see elk. They want to see moose. They want to see bighorn sheep or mountain goats or whitetail or who, may, you, who knows, uh, caribou. You know, it could be any one of those things. And so there needs to be opportunity not only to hunt, wildlife, but even just to be able to watch wildlife because that's a growing and booming industry. All right, here's my main takeaway. Managing big game in remote areas is both what I would consider a challenge logistically, but also a privilege to be able to go into these areas and just feel like you're the only one there is amazing. But it, it requires us to change the way we hunt a little bit to make sure we preserve these critical areas. And we need to adapt to the changing scenarios around us constantly, whether there's disease in the area or building on the outskirts and preserve these migration corridors and make sure that 
these remote areas are intact for future generations. All right, before we wrap it up, I just want to encourage you guys to go out and find a conservation group. Again, I don't care whether you're pro hunting, against hunting, anything that's out there working for wildlife, go ahead and get involved. Understand the, why these organizations are going the direction they're going and just get involved. The more you get involved, uh, the only thing I would say is look for a holistic approach, not one shoe fits all. Like we can't just be, let these animals roam free because there's too many problems, too many safety issues. But I also don't want to be, let's go and wipe out all these wolves because I just, my grandparents don't like them. I think there needs to be a holistic approach and we want to see the wildlife on the landscape. And if you like today's episode, go ahead and hit the like button. Follow me on YouTube or subscribe to uh, on Instagram, Facebook. And then if you guys got any questions, let me know. I'll see if I can answer them, see if I can get a biologist to answer them. And you guys have a great day. Stay wild. <laughs>